Welcome to the Battle Cry Podcast with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. You can watch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Convention of States Facebook and Rumble channels. Hey everyone, Mark Meckler here. Welcome to the Sunday Night Battle Cry. Big announcement to make, and that is we've had our store closed down for a while. If you like COS swag, I'm not wearing any right now because I got to place a big order. But that store's been shut down, and the reason it was shut down is we're moving it from California, uh, my old home state, to the great state of Texas. Uh, for a lot of reasons, it puts us right in the center of the country, a lot more efficient. Shipping will be faster. It'll be less expensive. Uh, we're coordinating with Patriot Academy out of their warehouse, so we love those guys. I just think there's a million reasons. You're going to see a bunch of new stuff in the store. It's really exciting. I want you to go there. Not right now. Wait until the battle cry is over. But you can go to shopconventionofstates.com, uh, and there's a special promo. You get a free mystery T-shirt with your $25 order, so that's going to be cool. So order order a couple of T-shirts, get a free T-shirt. Order a couple of hats, get a free T-shirt. Go to shopconventionofstates.com today, right after this broadcast and get your COS swag. You'll see me next week. I'll be wearing some new swag. All right. There's something that I want to bring up that I think hits us in every year that's an election year. It gets stormy. It gets crazy. It gets wild. And so every week I have a call to action, something that I want you guys to think about, something that I want you guys to do. And then this week, the call to action is be the calm in the storm. I promise you it's going to get stormy. Look, it's only February and the year's been absolutely crazy. I couldn't have predicted all the crazy stuff to happen already. And the question is, who's going to keep their head? Who's going to keep their wits about them? Because what happens is you watch all the news media, you watch all the online stuff going on, all the stuff in your social media feed, and people are going crazy. When stories hit social media and within 10 seconds, people are saying crazy stuff. Everybody has an opinion on everything. It seems like everything has to be a hot take. And by that, I mean, they're going to respond immediately, whatever comes first to mind. It's not usually well-reasoned. Often it's wrong. Their first take, their hot take is wrong. You need to be the calm in the storm. I think this is good advice, good advice generally. You be the calm in the storm in your marriage. Like things start going crazy, you stay calm. You be the calm in the storm in your entire family relationship, right? You know how this goes. Kids get crazy, you get calm. That brings everything down. Super important. When there's an emergency, something, somebody in the family gets hurt, there's an accident or something, you staying calm brings calm to the entire situation, right? So we can apply this in a broader context in our politics, which is really what I'm talking about. The world's gonna get crazy. People are gonna make all kinds of accusations. People are gonna threaten each other. People are gonna accuse each other. Your job, be the calm in the storm. Your friends are going to come to you. Oh my God, you're not going to believe what happened, blah, 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 blah. And you need to sit back and be like, I don't really know about that. I'm not sure that's quite as important as you might think it is. I'm not sure that's even true. I'm going to wait and let all the evidence come out so that I can kind of understand what's going on as opposed to jump into conclusions. Being a calm in the storm is good in all areas of your life. And I'm asking you very specifically to apply it to politics. Uh, apply it to politics, whether you're having a discussion with your family or you're having a discussion with friends, speak your mind. You should always speak your mind. You should speak it boldly and forcefully, calmly. Be the calm in the storm. Let the other side yell at you. If they want to yell at you, don't yell back. Let them curse at you. Don't curse back. It's okay to feel that way inside. I feel that way inside a lot of times when I watch these legislative hearings. It makes me really angry, but I don't let that out. 
uh, on the left, they would call it being inauthentic. I call it being rational and being the calm in the storm, being polite, being sane, being smart, being wise, right? We don't want to speak quickly. We want to listen. We want to pay attention. We want to think. We want to do our homework. And we want to react logically, forcefully, truthfully, logically, and calmly. So, I mean, I am telling you guys, I'm going to try and do it. You guys try and do it over the next year, especially over the next week. Be the calm in the storm. All right, we're going to go to the stories. And this makes it kind of hard to be the calm in the storm this week because there's a lot of big stories out there, a lot of crazy stuff going on. Let's start with what I think is the biggest news of the week. And there's several things that could qualify for that. But this one is top of my news. And that's Tucker's interview with Vladimir Putin. Now, uh, full disclosure, Tucker's a friend. And I know Tucker really well. Personally, I watched this storm explode online when Tucker said he was going to Moscow to interview Putin. If you haven't listened to him on the subject, I would say that uh, not necessarily that he's pro-Putin, but he's definitely anti-American involvement in Ukraine. He definitely feels like uh, Russia's side of the story has been squelched in American media. I think that's fair to say. I I am more of a pro giving some aid to Ukraine. I think we've probably run out of room on that, or at least getting close to running out of room. I think we need an off-ramp for this whole thing. I've been saying that for a long time. War without off-ramp is just stupid, and that's what we're doing. When the president says things like, as much as it takes, that's ridiculous. We all know it's not true. We need to know what the end game is. So we haven't had an end game. I think that's a bad strategy. I would say I probably lean more towards Ukraine than Russia. Uh, I would say that really uh, what you have in Tucker's side is he just thinks we shouldn't be involved. I know. He doesn't think we should be spending American money there when we can't even secure our border. I don't think that's an irrational argument. So there were those online who were saying Tucker is committing treason by going to Moscow to interview Putin. Uh, I think that's ridiculous and offensive. I want good journalists, and I consider Tucker to be a very good journalist, to go interview everybody. Interview the worst people. Give us the story. Let us see the perspective. Give us as close to a 360-degree view as we can get on anything. So you had people on the left saying, literally, Tucker should be thrown in prison. It's just, I mean, that's just totalitarian. We had people on the right with similar attitudes, people who are pro-war with Russia, who want to see us in that fight, who thought it was outrageous that Tucker was going to give a platform to a sworn enemy of the United States, which I agree. I think that's what Putin has always been. Again, I'm going to say he's a journalist and I want him to go get the story. So I didn't even have a judgment on good or bad, whatever, until I see the story. And I said, if Tucker asks hard questions, if he presses Putin, then I'm going to think it was a good thing to do. If all he does is go to a fluff interview and gives him a free platform, then I'm going to say it was a bad interview. And I'm going to judge it based on the content, not the characters, right? Not whether I like or hate Tucker, not whether I like or hate Putin. Did he do a service to the American public and to the world by interviewing Putin? So I watched it. I don't know how many of you watched it. Shouldn't have an opinion if you don't watch it, by the way. I watched it and here's my overall opinion. I think he did a pretty good job. I wouldn't say I'm 100% satisfied. I wouldn't say I could have done better because I'm not a journalist and Tucker is an absolute pro, but look, he pushed Putin on some stuff. I think the place where he got most aggressive is that there's an American Wall Street Journal journalist being held in a Russian prison. He's really just a bargaining chip. And 
Tucker pushed Putin on releasing him. He asked him to release him right now to Tucker to bring him home. I'm half surprised that Putin didn't do it. He deferred and said that's a matter of negotiation. Uh, but Tucker really, really pressed him on it for a long time uh, in a way that you wouldn't expect him to do if it was a fluff interview. He pressed him on what he wants out of the war and whether he's willing to have a negotiated settlement. And uh, Putin said, yes, he was looking for an off ramp. He wanted a negotiated settlement. Now, again, Putin could be just using this as propaganda. I'm sure he is very smart guy. And so he wants to get a message of conciliation out to the West that he's just this reasonable guy. Uh, but it was good. It was good to hear that perspective, even if it is propaganda. You're smart enough to know, is that propaganda or is that not propaganda? He played on the theme of the deep state running the American government, of Joe Biden being incompetent, all that stuff. He was really smart, Putin, in how he handled this interview. He knew everything about Tucker. I thought that was super interesting. Very uh, almost creepy KGB-ish. <laughs> he is, of course, ex-KGB. Uh, so I thought that was interesting to watch that interplay between two very smart, level-headed guys. So I would say if I had to grade it, I would give Tucker an A plus for going and doing the interview. Like just, I mean, that took a spine. That took guts. The American government obviously didn't like it. A lot of people say he should be prosecuted for it. The EU's threatening to sanction or prosecute him for it. He went and did it anyway to get at what he thinks is the truth. And so I give him an A plus for doing that. The interview itself, I'm going to say more of a B. I, I thought there were a lot of places he didn't push him on his war crimes. Uh, he didn't push him on how the Russian, uh, the Russian government is essentially a totalitarian government that deprives everybody of their human rights. So there were a lot of things that he could have gone into that he didn't. I think he gave Putin a little bit too much air to, to fluff everybody out. Uh, but again, man, kudos for going there. I'm not saying I could have done any better. I'm not critical because I, I wasn't there. And again, I can't say I would do any better. But if I had had my preference, which I don't, I don't have the connections and I don't, I don't have Tucker's skill to go there and do it. If I'd had my preference, he'd have pushed a little bit harder. So I, I recommend you go watch it. I think it's very interesting. The comments online about it are very interesting and, and very hotly divided. This is a great place to say, be the calm in the storm because a lot of people were attacking him before they ever saw the interview. The interview came out differently than I think they expected. So if you're the calm in the storm, you won't go off on a hot take before you see the interview. I recommend you watch it. Okay, hard to believe that this is the second biggest news of the week, but it is only second. The special counsel's report on Joe Biden's mishandling of classified documents is out. And it's a doozy. It says that he willfully mishandled classified documents. Uh, it says that he used those documents working with his biographer on his own biography to, um, to use information that he shouldn't have been giving out, that he, he spilled state secrets. And that's pretty outrageous. He did it intentionally. Uh, the special counsel said willfully, and he was incredibly sloppy and willful. And so that's bad. So you'd think, well, okay, is he going to get prosecuted? And the answer is he's not because the special counsel said his dementia is too severe. He didn't use those words, but he said he comes across as an old man, uh, a, a kindly old man, with a poor memory, or with a big memory problem. Couldn't remember within, a, within decades when his son, Bo, died. And that's a pretty serious thing, right? You would think that would be seared into your memory. 
unless of course you have dementia, which is really sad. And it is really sad in the case of Joe Biden. I couldn't remember a lot of stuff. And so his point was not competent to stand trial. This is a pretty radical thing, right? When the president of the United States of America is deemed to be a senile man, not competent to stand trial. Some people are calling for the 25th Amendment. The 25th Amendment is a way to remove a president when he becomes incompetent or incapacitated. But that takes his cabinet doing that. I don't believe they're going to do that to Joe Biden right now. Maybe eventually, but not right now, because I think mostly they're running things anyway. So they're getting what they want already. They really don't have to run everything by the president. I think mostly he does what they want. I say mostly, except for he held a press conference last night that I believe his staff probably didn't want him to do. This is one, again, I recommend you watch for yourself. And so you can listen to what I've got to say about it. And you can then decide by watching it for yourself whether I'm right. He came across as an old man with dementia, and I would say an angry old man with dementia. Uh, he said that the report completely vindicated him. He said that it said that he did not mishandle documents. That's not true. Uh, and he didn't mention that they declined to prosecute because he was a feeble old man who is senile. And that is what the independent counsel said. Uh, in answer to a question, Peter Ducey asked him, well, what do you have to say about that? And he said, my memory's just fine. Well, maybe my memory's bad because I called on you or something like, I mean, it was just snarky and nasty, uh, but clearly he's not in his right mind. He went on to talk about Israel. And when he talked about Israel, he referred to uh, Mexico, the president of Mexico opening the gate, the president of Mexico being president Sisi, except for president Sisi is the president of Egypt. And so clearly demonstrating his mental incapacity. It was really bad. He went on to talk about Israel and he threw Israel under the bus, uh, said that his position is that Israel's response has been over the top. What I would say to Joe Biden about that is, uh, yeah, what would it look like if 1,200 Americans got slaughtered by marauding forces coming across the border in San Diego or in El Paso? And, you know, I thought we would go to full-scale war over that. And then I thought, well, maybe not if it was Joe Biden. Maybe it's entirely plausible that Joe Biden wouldn't care, wouldn't do very much. Maybe he'd send a drone to blow up a building if they killed 1,200 Americans. I'm not convinced he would do anything really serious. I mean, he was willing to let the Americans die in Afghanistan. He was willing to leave behind 80 plus billion dollars of the finest military equipment in the world that will be used against our forces all over the world. The Houthis are attacking us. He's doing only limited strikes as opposing to turning the Houthis into dust. So maybe if we got attacked across our southern border, maybe he wouldn't do much of anything. Even more frightening of a thought. He then went on to talk about Saudi Arabia and how he was trying to cut a deal with Saudi Arabia uh, before Hamas attacked. And he said he couldn't really talk about what was in the deal. There were two points. And then he talked about the first point. <laughs> and then he said, but I really can't talk about the second point. And then he talked about the second point. And so I don't know. The Saudis got to be looking at this shaking their heads. The whole world is looking at Joe Biden shaking their heads. What does this mean? What happens here? Does he make it to the 2024 election? Does the DNC replace him as they have the power to do? Do they invoke the 25th Amendment at some point and put Kamala Harris in that seat? Is she the candidate? Is it Gavin Newsom? You hear rumors of Michelle Obama. I have no idea what's going to happen. Like I consulted my crystal ball last night. Nothing but smoke inside of that thing. Sorry, guys. I don't know. But it's ugly for Biden and the Democrats right now. 
Sometimes bad news can be good news. And I know that sounds weird, but it is true. And the bad news that's good news is taking place in all the blue cities all across the country. Major blue cities are just collapsing. They're turning into hell holes. I mean, you look at what's going on in Chicago or New York or Boston or Philadelphia, or move all the way to the West Coast and talk about Portland, Oregon. You know, I lived south of Portland, Oregon in Northern California for many years. We used to go up and drive up the Northern Coast and we go into Portland. And even though it was a crazy liberal city, it was always beautiful, it was always clean, it was always safe, it was always nice. And then came the summer of love riots, right? And the George Floyd stuff and the downtown getting burned down and rioted and trashed. And it's been that way ever since 2020. And this week, I read a story on Twitter from a woman, an older lady who was living in downtown Portland when it happened, and her life has turned into a hellscape. She's been mugged three times down there. She spent 120 days living in the midst of the riots with gunshots going off, with fireworks going off, uh, with police being chased out of her neighborhood, being locked in her home during the height of COVID. She's a liberal Democrat, and she is now a Republican. And there are a whole bunch of people that were coming online in her threads. First of all, Republicans saying, I don't feel sorry for you at all. And to those Republicans and those conservatives, I would say, shame on you. Here's somebody who is essentially repentant and realized that what she was doing had created this. And she took the blame for voting for those people. And she now says she'll vote differently and certainly not voting for Biden. And, and so we should support that at every chance. Plus, just as Christians, we should feel for this woman and we should pray for her, which is what I posted in that channel. But my point was a lot of Portlanders said either they'd left or they agreed with her and they had to throw the Democrats out. And that's something I've not seen before. And I think that tide is beginning to turn in the major cities across the country. Doesn't mean I expect we're going to see a Republican wave of mayors or city councils in those cities yet. It just means people are waking up and sometimes really bad stuff has to happen for the good stuff to happen. So in these cities, it's getting really bad. Eventually, it will get bad enough that I believe, hopefully, I believe in my heart, I'm a positive guy, that they'll wake up and they'll throw out the Democrats and they'll return to rule of law. Maybe these cities will once again be great. We, we can pray and we can hope for that. So RFK Jr. still in the running as an independent candidate, uh, and he's polling decently for an independent candidate. It looks like more of his base is coming from Biden than it is from Trump. And I would expect that. He's a lifelong Democrat. Kennedy is a Democrat name. Kennedy being a Democrat name, Kennedy family seems to have a thing for getting assassinated in politics, right? If, if you're my age, I'm 62 years old, then you know that. And RFK, as a major presidential candidate contender, has asked for Secret Service protection. And that's a normal thing to give somebody at his percentage and the Secret Service keeps turning him down, turned him down again this week. Why is that? Especially when you have a family, he's got a family name and a family history of political assassinations. I mean, maybe it's gotten to the point where the Secret Service and the deep state are in favor of assassination. Maybe it's gotten to that point. Maybe it was, yeah, Robert F. Kennedy. Maybe it was at that point long ago where our deep state is engaged in this kind of stuff. So they're just hoping somebody else does the work for them and they refuse him Secret Service protection. I'm not an RFK Jr. fan. I'm glad for some of the stuff he's saying. I wouldn't vote for him. But for sure, the guy deserves Secret Service protection during this presidential election. This is outrageous. Uh, speaking of outrageous, 
Colorado still trying to keep Trump off the ballot there. That case made it way to this its way to the Supreme Court. SCOTUS heard the case. You could listen live online. I did listen to some of the argument. Look, it's going to be, I'm going to guess uh, it's going to be 7-2 probably, right? Nine justices on the court. It seemed like we had most of them on our side. Most of them thought this case was pretty outrageous that one state could keep the president off the ballot, meaning one state maybe could even keep the president, uh, a guy running for president who is the nominee uh, from being on the ballot there and being elected. And they just were outraged by the idea that they that Colorado thought one state could control the election of the president. So I have a feeling we're going to see a quick ruling on that, and they're going to rule that Colorado can't keep him off the ballot, and that'll stop this nonsense all across the country. A lot of states trying to do this, and they'll look at that Colorado decision, and they will stop trying to do it. Speaking of the election right now, uh, the Democrats are worried. They're worried for a lot of reasons, but this one brought joy to my heart. They're worried that the issue of the border is going to overshadow the issue of abortion. Can you imagine? We have the borders wide open. seems like about 100,000 people died as the result of this wide open border last year. Uh, We have millions of people pouring across our border, including the cartels, including drugs, including Chinese, including Afghanis, including just last week, by the way, in San Diego, 73 people or people from 73 different countries apprehended in San Diego, California, trying to cross the border illegally, no screening, no nothing. And the Biden administration is allowing this. So people are freaking out. Hundreds of thousands of people dying over the last few years. Migrants dying, by the way, illegal immigrants dying, but also hundreds of thousands of American citizens dead. And the Dems are worried that that might outshadow the issue of baby killing, of their right to murder babies. Yeah, that they're worried about that. And they're right, because that is what's happening. If you look at all the polling, abortion's not the issue in this cycle. It really is the border, and they are losing badly on the border. So this does not portend well for them, but they've got their priorities messed up, don't you think? Killing babies seems to be their most important issue. And that's why a lot of people are leaving the Democrat Party because the Democrat Party is in touch with the ruling elites, the self-appointed elitists, I should say. And they're out of touch with average American people. Average American people are worried about the invasion on our southern border, and they're not as worried about baby killing and the right to kill babies. So that's actually another piece of good news is that the election is swinging towards rational policies, and we want to see American citizens do this. Here's another good thing that's also a bad thing. Sometimes something can be both, right? China right now is experiencing deflation. Their economy is collapsing. Uh, They overbuilt, they overspent, they built entire cities that nobody lives in. They're having a real estate collapse over there and they're having to deflate all their export pricing. That means goods that are being sent out of China to America and other countries around the world are cheaper and cheaper. So that's good news because it means China's contracting uh, in the long run. If China contracts, they're less of a threat to America and to freedom in the world. The problem is as they contract and those prices deflate, that will have a deflationary effect on other economies all around the world. Other economies that are alternatives to China, uh, Vietnam, Malaysia, India, Mexico, they're going to have to lower their prices to keep up with the prices of China. Uh, and for selling cheap goods, right? And so what that means is those countries are all going to suffer. That's a deflation spiral. That can lead to recession, ultimately could lead to depression. 
And I still think there's a huge shoe to drop on the economy. I, I think this is coming. The other risk of this is that a destabilized China, a, a deflationary China, a weakened China becomes a more desperate China. And they might decide they need to move militarily, say, against Taiwan by blockading Taiwan uh, before Joe Biden's presidency is over. I think Joe Biden being so weak is another reason to do it. Joe Biden being weak in the polls is another reason for China to do that. They don't want to face off against Donald Trump. They're not going to blockade Taiwan while Donald Trump is in office. That's for sure. But they might do it while Joe Biden's in office. So I think this is good. Weak in China in the long run bad because I think in the short run, it makes China a more dangerous foe and can lead to a worldwide deflationary cycle, which leads to recession and possibly depression. So you can look at the good side or you can look at the bad side. That's up to you guys. Let's talk convention estates because it's been a huge, huge week for convention estates. We have, and not necessarily in this order, but I'm going to start with the miracle in Massachusetts. Look, Massachusetts, very blue state. Everybody always says, can't do convention estates in a blue state. Well, we passed in a joint committee hearing between the House and the Senate. Uh, we don't get the actual vote. They keep that vote hidden so you can't see who voted what. But we won overwhelmingly in that joint committee between the House and the Senate. I call that the Massachusetts miracle. Going back to the beginning of the week in Iowa, uh, we had a subcommittee hearing, three on the committee, one Dem, two Republicans. We won overwhelmingly two to one. <laughs> so that was a great committee hearing. Uh, really great testimony there from Rick Santorum. If you didn't get a chance to see that, that's online. I highly recommend that. I think the highlight of that hearing was listening to one of our sponsors say to one of the opponents who was there, you have no solutions. You haven't brought me any solutions. You only bring me fear. That's something I would say to our opponents. If you're listening and you're an opponent of COS, you have no solutions. You say we should vote. I say how that's working. How's that working? You say we should pray. I say hallelujah, pray more. But we have an obligation to do something to save the country, and that is Convention of States. So we came out of the subcommittee. Uh, we went to the full committee the next day. We passed out of that full committee. Super excited. We're on our way to the floor. We're there lobbying. The grassroots are doing all the work necessary. Great stuff going on in Iowa. Uh, Senate, the question is, can we get the Senate to hear it? We have the votes in the Senate. We have to get the committee chair to agree to allow that to come out of committee. Uh, right now, we've got a little bit of a dance going on about that. So we're working the best we can to put grassroots pressure on that. Ohio is another big one. So we had a big win in Ohio. Uh, we we did a committee hearing, and that committee hearing is proponent testimony only. It's only people who are in favor. I love those hearings because I don't have to hear all the idiotic arguments from our opposition. Our opposition, by the way, both on the radical left, the Soros opposition, the Planned Parenthood opposition, all those people, I don't like listening to them. And they say the same things as people like the John Birch Society in Eagle Forum. I don't know what it is because right now on this issue, you got John Birch Society in Eagle Forum on the right. And then you got every evil group on the left and they work like this. They're just hand in glove. It's the same thing. I never thought in my life I would see the John Birch Society and Eagle Forum aligned with the most evil people on the planet in Planned Parenthood, the baby killers. They're perfectly aligned. But in Ohio, we didn't have to hear any of that because it was proponents testimony. Uh, and this is something if you want to see a master class in proponent testimony, starting with Mike Ferris. Mike Ferris is my co-founder, constitutional scholar, Supreme Court litigator, uh, constitutional professor, incredible guy. And he does about a 35-minute masterclass. You can watch that. That's uh, the Ohio opening testimony from Mike Ferris. That's 8 p.m. Eastern, Tuesday, February the 13th. You can go onto our website and watch the longer form. You can watch all the grassroots testimony. 
was some of the best I've ever seen. So if you want to see what it looks like, when citizens come in and they serve it up to a legislature on a silver plate, go watch that. Again, Mike Ferris uh, for the Ohio Testimony, 8 p.m. Eastern, Tuesday, February 13th. Uh, we, gosh, there's other good stuff happened. Uh, Rhode Island, we heard testimony and committee in Rhode Island. Rhode Island, I mean, that's a hard one for us. It's a small blue state. Uh, we often don't even get to committee testimony. This year, our incredible team up there did it. Great testimony. We had audio only on that, but we got the testimony in the bag. That one's now waiting for a vote. They vote in what's called executive committee behind the scenes. Can't see them vote. Uh, so really incredible stuff going on. I apologize if I missed anything. I can't remember all this stuff. It's been a busy week for COS. Next week will be a busy week for COS. All victories so far, all good so far. Uh, everything looking good. All right. Uh, again, I want to remind you, Article 5 Outfitters is open again. You can get all the great swag. Go to shopconventionofstates.com and get a free t-shirt with a $25 order. I'm going to go to the questions. That's always the best to ask Mark anything. Barbara Lee asks, why is Biden ignoring the whole border situation? He hasn't even acknowledged there's a problem, or maybe he's forgotten there even is a border. Uh, Barb, he, in a sense, I would say I'd push back a little bit. He's not been ignoring it. He says there's a problem, and he blames it now on Republicans. He says, I can fix the border if you pass this terrible, atrocious, no good, don't do it under any circumstances, no way Republicans border bill, and then I can fix the border. That's his position now. He's trying to flip it on the Republicans. That dog won't hunt. That's just not going to happen. So that's why I think he's not really ignoring it. He knows it's going on. The reason he's not effectively dealing with it is he's got a problem on his left flank. The hardcore leftists want that border open. They're not going to allow him to close it. He's pandering to them. He's going to lose them if he goes the other way. Uh, and really what he should be shooting for, in my opinion, is the middle of the road, the moderates. He's lost them on this issue. So I don't think he's going to change on this issue. Alex Gallimore asks, what are your thoughts on the Alistair Begg controversy? Wow, I, that's, you stumped me. I, I don't know who Alistair Begg is. I'm going to have to look that one up when I'm offline. Maybe producer G will do that again next week. Remind me to look up Alistair Begg controversy. Kathleen Macklin says, what's happening in Michigan with COS? Well, in Michigan, really, it's all about the legislature. And right now, the legislature is a complete mess. The House is 54-54, evenly divided. But the Speaker of the House is a Democrat, some arcane rules. I was on the phone with somebody this weekend about that, talking about that, how that happens. Uh, because when it went to 54-54, the Democrats were already in control, so they stay in control. But my sources in Michigan tell me they think we're going to take the House and the Senate there in this cycle. And that means Convention of States will be up and running in the next cycle. Uh, right now, if you look at what's going on in politics there, the Republicans are way up anywhere, five to seven points. Uh, Trump is up in Michigan. I think he's lost, uh, Biden's lost the auto workers. And so that's what's going on there. So I think you're going to see good results in Michigan and that'll lead to forward momentum for a convention of states. Um, again, remember, go watch Case for Convention of States with Michael Ferris. That's his Ohio testimony, February 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Go to conventionofstates.com, sorry, shopconventionofstates.com. You're going to get a free t-shirt with every $25 order. The store reopened. It's in Texas. Get your swag. Look cool. Be wearing it next week when you come see me Sunday night on The Battle Cry. This has been the podcast version of The Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. Thank you for listening.